Well, this week we are joined by my friends Mitchell McCleary and Matthew McCleary, who host Movies While They Sleep podcast. It's one of my favorites. Um, guys, I'm going to have you tell listeners a bit about podcast, why you started it, what the purpose of it is. But I just got to say right from the get-go, one of the things I appreciate about it is that um, is the thoughtfulness in which you engage film um, explore the themes, but also at the same time, you guys aren't getting so, um, in the weeds where I have to think about like what lens the DP used yeah. in this particular scene you know? as a musician. Um, I like music's kind of ruined for me. Mitchell, you probably know this from, cause you, you do graphic design work that you just probably can't pick up a magazine and just look at it like a normal person. <laughs> like, who made this? Who dared? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, Matthew, as a pastor, you know, when you listen to another sermon or you go to another church, you just don't take it in like normal people. And one of the things I've been really concerned about yeah. for myself is I love film. Uh, I love exploring the theology and philosophy embedded in film. But I'm also really concerned that I don't want to become so much of an expert in it that it ruins the experience. And you guys, you guys tow that line really, really well. <laughs> so I appreciate it. So um, Mitchell, Matthew, let's uh, let's go on to talk about stuff. Yeah, no, like it's enough to it's um, yeah, it's just that it's over the threshold of. Um, what would be just boredom or the sort of stuff you can read on Rotten sure. Tomatoes and actually um, some thoughtfulness about it and some things I think you can help my listeners and viewers on YouTube appreciate more about the connections between people's journey to find meaning in these films beyond just the stories themselves. I appreciate how you guys talk about cinematography, sound design. So anyways, let's let's start with a little bit of like what... yeah. How how long have you guys found yourself attracted to this medium of the arts? What was it about film and storytelling in film that really captivated you? Was there a particular moment or particular movie as a child that you were like, I mean, we all love movies growing up. Yeah. But um, was there one that really was like, man, I, I think this is a deeper area of interest for me than just, you know, going to... You know, Matthew, you might have been old enough to go to Blockbuster on a yeah. Friday night. Mitchell, I, I think oh, yeah. you're younger than Matthew, yeah. right? Yeah, and I'd sneak yeah, so that out yeah, of the whole horror little. movie aisle quickly because it was too freaky to track <laughs> down. Yeah. Or if you were at like family video, there was like the back room that was like all the oh, pornography no. stuff, which I always thought <laughs> like, was like, God, isn't this family this video? Guy, this Why is an adult? A strange <laughs> character who's walking back there. <laughs> Let's avoid yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, Mitchell, Matthew, what, what did your, in, how did your interest in this medium of the arts develop? Yeah, I think, I think my initial answer is going to be not a surprise, but I remember very vividly being like third, fourth grade and my parents buying me the Star Wars trilogy on VHS. It was like one of the re-releases. And this was an entirely new thing for me in terms of exciting storytelling and and I think not obviously not understanding this at the time, but how archetypical those stories are and that it just connected with me in this very deep visceral way. Uh, but I think like, you know, some movies were always just a part of part of culture and a part of what we engaged with. Um, but I think when I was in 
in high school and really involved in in our church and youth group. And my youth pastor had uh, he had been a film studies major for a time, was interested in some filmmaking. And this was like a Christian mentor of mine who was giving me permission almost. Yeah. Uh, not expressly, but by, by his own interest, was giving me permission to engage in this. And and I, I mean, we did not grow up in a the kind of church that thought going to the movies was a sin. And that certainly exists. Um, but, and I think that's important because... <laughs> no. <laughs> Get the God's Not Dead trilogy or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but... But there is this suspicion, even in more or less legalistic church settings, there is kind of this suspicion of, um, you know, media and movies in particular, I think. And so to have that person who I respected in that as a Christian mentor to give me that permission to engage with something that I was really interested in, uh, I began to see the value in it beyond going and seeing whatever that year's big Christian movie was. Uh, That's huge. Cause yeah, I it was think, a big deal. I think even I grew up in a family that wasn't averse to watching movies either. And we'd go to Blockbuster Video or Family Video on a Friday night and and grab a few. I can even see, you know, I can I still even have the smell of oh, yeah. the the Blockbuster packaging. You know, there was the, a unique plastic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, so we weren't averse to that, um, but there was definitely in the broader like cultural sea, we yeah. all swim in the subculture, evangelical subculture. There was certainly the sense in which unless something was like explicitly like a portrayal of the life of Jesus, yes. the passion of the Christ, and that the this was kind of just, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> this was kind of... Um, there was still the sacred secular division. Yeah. So to have somebody in your life that affirmed there was sacredness embedded in stuff that weren't explicitly made by the, you know, focus on the family or pure flicks. Yeah. I mean, pure flicks wasn't a thing, but um, that's a, that's a big deal, wasn't it? Oh, it was a huge deal. And then when I went to college and was trying to figure out what I wanted to study and, and did feel called a ministry, but not at a, a Christian university, I ended up studying film because I, I, that was, that was something I was excited about. And I'm so glad I have that background. And so that's, that's where a lot of the, the more technical or, or kind of that kind of understanding comes from is actually sitting in film classes and in school. And, um, and I joke, we, it was not a production degree. We just watched movies. So I'm really good at that. Um, but, but just kind of learning that and, and and so getting that exposure in a different way at that time, but but again, I think all the all the while having known people that I respect immensely and watching them engage in culture in productive ways um, was that starting place. Yeah. What about for you, Mitchell? Yeah, um, I don't mean to sound too much like just a film bro on Twitter, but uh, we've mentioned before how for me and Matthew, like a pivotal movie moment was, uh, again, I know how this sounds like, Oh, I'm a junior high. And this is my movie is uh, no country for old men. When mm. I saw that and he showed it to me, he's like, we got to watch this. And I feel like I was in maybe eighth grade at that point, but truly that was the first, like it went from movie to film. 
like, oh, they're putting on a movie to like, yeah. what is this? How was like, how did this culminate into this experience? Because before I, I think it, it turned into art versus just pure entertainment. Because even even like mm. artful movies before then, like the way I processed them was just this is something to entertain me. But I remember viscerally watching. That's a good that distinction. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Remember, I think that's a big that distinction. Movie. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's a big distinction between film as escapism, entertainment, and going to the movies because this is actually saying something in our quest for meaning it's like helping people yeah. process that it's giving them a guiding story it's uh, telling you something about your place in the story and i mean all movies do that but you're right there is some extent like there's a difference between you know a terrence malick film and like dumb and dumber like <laughs> there's, there a, certainly is there's a qualitative well, hey, difference not, there you know. <laughs> <laughs> sorry right off dumb and dumber too much here <laughs> Yeah, so no, yeah. no country for old men was what did it for you, huh? Yeah, and you know, uh, as you mentioned, I do graphic design work for a living, but I also like am musician, and uh, like I, I feel like I have a lot of overlapping interests of art and movies. Obviously, brings them all together, whether it's visuals or sound, or you know, um, like it's funny. I remember another just movie childhood memory matthew remembers this we'd go to our neighbor's house and we'd bust out the cassette and just like we would record us like acting out movies that we liked just the audio back and forth i mean you know they're kids it's just kids being insane re quoting harry potter to each other. <laughs> but i was like oh that was my first podcast moment right there <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah like I, I think i'm constantly drawn to and and find it as the source of like the, the art source that most makes me want to make something it, is this is yeah. this medium that brings all of them together you know and yeah uh, yeah so, so tell no me a bit about the title first... of the podcast yeah matthew take it away <laughs> tell me a bit Go about ahead. the title of the podcast for those that have oh, not yeah. listened before movies while they sleep um it just yeah, just explain a bit why you guys called it that. What you do yeah. each week or every episode? This, this was a, a bit of a pandemic project for us. Uh, kind of, so so we've been going for about a year, and so a year into COVID, Mitchell and I we don't uh, live in the same town. We live about three hours away. Especially through the pandemic, uh, haven't been able to see each other as often as you know growing up and all of that and we realized the only time that we were really talking to each other was uh when we'd both seen movies <laughs> so we said uh let's create content out of this obviously let's uh, monetize what else do you do? our relationship <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so we had this shared shared passion for this and so well let's just do this gives us a reason one to watch things you know at the same time gives us a reason to connect and and just share that with people it's called movies while they sleep because we uh, tend to watch movies later in the evenings after our wives and children have gone to bed the, the so joke the, was while they sleep is the yeah the joke was the only time i'm going to watch this criterion three-hour russian epic that would bore everyone else in my house <laughs> to tears is after they've gone to bed and matthew obviously had the same yes. like plight and we're like all right that's a podcast right there 
Yeah, you're not gathering up the kids to watch No Country for Old Men all together, family movie night. (laughs) Surprisingly not. Not And then ironically, my wife wants to see every movie now because she likes listening to the podcast. So I I break the premise every (laughs) week. That's great. Yeah, I love it, guys. Um, I mean, you you had me on a while back, I think early on, we were talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, sweet. What What an honor and privilege. Uh, and I, I love it. And I love that you, you even just part of your story, um, you found something during the pandemic that was uh, bringing you both together in community. But even, you know, something as simple as maybe our thoughts are worth sharing. Now, mm. not everybody needs to follow through on that in all areas <laughs> of life. But if there's something, an area of passion that you do have, it's it's really cool the day and age in which we live that we can share the things. Yeah that we we love and they may actually be of benefit and blessing to the world and um i'm just i'm glad you you both followed followed through on that i don't know if you're familiar with um i i've called it the blockbuster thesis the blockbuster theory i didn't come up with it there's a guy um by the name of robert k johnston and he's a theologian and he wrote a book called real spirituality r-e-e-l maybe it's something you even potentially read Matthew's um, on Amazon Matthew, right now, but anyways, as we speak. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Great book. I mean, it's it's old. Um, I, it's like, uh, it's pre, you know, Netflix days, but it talks about the connection between faith and film. One of the things he brought up in his book, and it was an interesting theory, there's no way we could say definitively that there's causal connection, even if there's just corollary connection here. But he brought up how the rise of the home video store so the first home video store sprung up in California in the the late 70s, and then it yeah. began to become more popular by the early 80s. And of course, into the mid 80s and 90s, it just exploded yeah. all the way to the decline when the digital age happened. He brings up that you can actually see, again, we can't say causation definitively, but we see connection between declining church attendance and the expansion of the home video store. And one of the wow. things that he brought up was that for many people... The movies, going to the movies is their sermon. uh, And now beyond just going to the movie theater, Netflix, HBO Max, um, you know, wherever, whatever streaming service of your choice, that that experience has been Hollywood does such a good job of telling stories that it's actually really, really difficult for church communities to tell a story that comes across more beautiful, more true than what they experience at home. Like, what are your initial thoughts? I'm not asking you to say whether or not you think there's like causal connection there, but tell me what your initial thoughts are about hearing that theory. Well, and this is in a related way, something that I've thought about for a long time, because I see the movie theater experience as being so steeped in a liturgy of its own and and so we I have theater that I go to usually it's kind of by our house and it's uh, up in the foothills and it's in this kind of shopping center that's set up on a hill and the movie theater is literally at the apex of this shopping center okay all roads lead to lead to the movie theater and it's the, the top of the hill like the a light temple on the right hill. <laughs> I mean, that's, like, that's actually how like medieval cities would be set up with the church oh, and the yes. people at the top the cathedral at the top precisely Wow. So the theater is the central focal point of this 
you know, big shopping center. And then, and, and then every theater has this liturgy. You walk in and it's this big expansive lobby, right? And the smells of the popcorn and the posters of the coming attractions. And then you go through that process of entering into the theater and the lights are still on and it's the, you know, whatever the girl from Access Hollywood doing her like previews before, <laughs> before the Thanks real previews start. The behind like, the scenes look of scene two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> but then, but then the trailers start and the lights dim a little bit and everybody's attention, you know, becomes a little more focused. And then that last trailer ends. And now this is why we're here. And it feels in a lot of ways uh, to have these r- liturgical rhythms. And uh, and so I, I completely would buy into this uh, kind of cultural, I don't know, replacement or uh, kind of, yeah, uh, the, the, the way that, that film going and movie going. And, and even now, because I think Hollywood trained us so well in the theater going experience that now content delivery can just happen at home. And, and we don't even need the the other pieces uh, to to just plug into the story. Yeah, definitely. Mitchell, do you have any initial thoughts on this this theory? Like, do do you feel as if what happens in a movie theater or what kind of story we're able to tell, not just the story itself, but the experience of music, the experience of beauty, the experience of seeing yourself connected into a deeper human story? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Maybe being like, it's actually so good. It's just hard for churches to do something better than this. It's the metaverse thing. It's like, it's going to be so good just not being in my reality. (laughs) Why would I ever choose anything other than that? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. The, the, the tracking, I mean, obviously there's a ton of other variables going into it, but um, I had never considered yeah. the the ritual of it all, you know, or even like, mm. yeah, the ritual. And then, you know, we get our little allegory of the cave that we get to participate in going in. It's like, there it is projected. This is the, the stories of my life. Yeah. You know, this is really what life is. And then like you walk out, very yeah. eyed, like, wait, the sun's out, you know, it turns out it's in the middle of the <laughs> afternoon. I feel like the, for me, one of my criteria for when I go, was that a good movie or not, is did it kind of like disorient me like that yeah. in some sense yeah. where I come out. And for me, one of the first ones would talk about, you know, movie Twitter bros. But, you know, it was <laughs> in high school when I when I saw The Matrix, yeah. you know, oh. it was that experience coming out 1999. And I had zero at that point zero proclivities towards philosophy and here you've got this movie the first one in particular embedding all this like gnostic theology and Mm -hmm. platonism for a young uh, paul that movie's everything (laughs) i know it really was i mean it really was that that experience it disoriented me and there's one others um boy this is going to feel so on brand again (laughs) but i've talked about this on numerous numerous occasions was um you know, being so steeped in uh, a charismatic theological tradition yeah. that had very much um, kind of like bifurcated reality in some sense. The mundane, I had very little space for seeing God in the imminent and the mundane. And I could only experience God in these sorts of like, come to a conference, come to some yeah. events. Uh, no, music talks. obviously is a big part of that. 
but it had to be some experience of transcendence that would just blow yeah. me out of the water. And in uh, 2010 or 2011, you know, I watched Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, and it just wrecked me because I had no grid at the time for seeing the presence of God in the mundane with my kids, with my wife, and somehow Malik captured that, even in like grabbing the very story of creation, which for some people, it seems like, where did that come from when that scene kicks in and connecting it to one little family and their little yeah. experience, their Job experience. Um, for me, it was like, I have not seen that before. Yeah. And it probably has always been there in the scriptures. Like it was Ecclesiastes in some sense. It's all, but I, that experience of that particular art and that particular medium opened up my eyes to something I hadn't, hadn't seen before. Let's talk yeah, about, go, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to wait. When I saw Tree of Life for the first time, there was a, especially during the creation sequence, there was a breathlessness that I experienced that I had never experienced in, in any other movie. I was so taken by what was happening and I, I did not even understand. Uh, and, and that remains to me, one of the, the greatest movies of all time uh, yeah. for, for, for that, for the beauty of it. Um, to, but I, to be I fair, just love that you, you talked about you're famously life. really into dinosaurs, so you were just like, yeah. <laughs> he had a no, similar tree, tree transcendent experience a, at Jurassic Park, The Lost World, or <laughs> yeah, you're like yeah, yeah. the entire time. <laughs> like, are you guys seeing this? Tree Life is definitely a it Hall of Fame that. movie for the pod, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just that, like, the transcendence of it. It was the way in which the transcendence, the imminence collided in Tree of Life. Yes. And you yeah. could find <clears throat> something about your story or your family story somehow in oh each of those gosh. characters, oh, yeah. too. You get so um, excited to live life after that movie. Like, your normal yeah. everyday life. You're like, oh, every moment can be charged with meaning somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to see yourself, you know, I was a young parent. At the time, and I'm going, man, I'm seeing the patterns of Brad Pitt's fatherhood playing out in my own life already. I better repent to some of these I things. <laughs> yes. So much, you know, so much there where it's like there was no way a sermon could have ever done that to me. Yeah. So I'd love to talk a bit about I've lost track of time, as most people have during the pandemic. <laughs> so I really don't know without like going on IMDb. <laughs> what films have come out this year or whether it was two years ago. So yeah. we're just going to explore some pandemic films, some Great, films yeah. that have come out here during the pandemic. Um, and you have probably have episodes on a bunch of these. There's several of them I want to talk about. And then I want to hear from you, maybe some of the things, some films that you think could produce a similar effect. It doesn't have to be that exact effect that tree of life produced, but yeah. something that makes you question your place in the story opens you up to awe wonder transcendence maybe helps you see the depravity of sin in the world and in the cosmos so i'd love yeah. to talk about some of them um i don't know if you guys have one you want to start with that you'd like to jump into right away that for you has been this is the one for me over the past year or two years that um just blew blew my doors off so i'll open up to you 
Mitchell? Yeah, I'll kick it <laughs> off. Um, it, when, you, when you sent us the, the prompt for this episode of kind of what we've been talking about, uh, this movie popped in my head, and I can't, I can't quite escape it uh, since I've seen it. Like, for some reason, and it's totally like a um, you know, low-budget, kind of classic art housey type movie, but it's the one that's taken up most the most brain space for me since seeing it um, almost two years ago. We did it. I think we did an episode on it. Yeah, we did. Um, it's called The Sound of Metal. Oh, and yeah. it is uh, streaming on Amazon. It's an Amazon, Amazon Studios film, so it'll just be on Amazon Prime forever. So, um, which is nice. But yeah, that came out, what, maybe, was that 2020? Like a few months ago. It was a 2020 COVID? movie. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it was a late 2020. Late 2020, um, okay. So pr- production probably pre-pandemic, post-production probably in the midst of it. But yeah, it, it's so interesting the way it speaks to oh my uh, isolation and pandemic so, life. Yeah, yeah. so it came out, yeah, end of 2020. I think I watched it January of 2021, right after the, um, the Capitol stuff. So there's just a weird feeling in the air. Just kidding. Um, so, but the... <laughs> So the premise of the movie is uh, this, you know, metal, like heavy, heavy metal drummer who um, this is just the premise. So there's no spoilers here. It happens in the first 10 minutes and he's going deaf um, or pretty much goes deaf right away. And kind of just him navigating his new life of away from what he had built his entire previous life around. He cannot now do and come to terms with that. And, you know, for a year into COVID and, you know, we're all taking these different lessons and reorienting priorities and what we, and values about how we live our life. Um, thanks to the pandemic, seeing this character and putting yourself in that space of, I cannot do what my normal is anymore and forever. And I've got to change everything about how I view myself and how I fit into the world and how I have known to be okay in the world. And so uh, hmm. it, it definitely, it, I don't know, it's just been hanging around with me for the past year of, you know, that phrase gets thrown around a ton of the new normal or, you know, whatever it is. And I don't necessarily want to link it just to COVID, obviously, but. Um, no, but it was the right kind of, place, right time for it. Huh? Yeah, right place, right yeah. time. And it just got that haunting quality, like a haunting beauty that I think me and Matthew are both drawn to in our movie watching. Um, is there, is but, there anybody in it people would be familiar with? I I haven't seen it yet. And this is one of the beautiful things I love about your podcast. Yeah. You guys often give me things that I go, Oh, I saw this. And if these guys are covering it, then I know it's worthwhile. <laughs> it's, you're more least <laughs> me than rotten tomatoes or Metacritic. Okay. So heck yeah. Yeah. Um, is it Riz Ahmed? Who's the star? Yeah. Riz Ahmed is the lead. And what else is he? I know he's in and, other, baller yeah. stuff he was in like an hbo miniseries that was big a couple of years ago but he's he's kind of really popping off now i think sound of metal was a big a moment for him i i he got a lot of you know awards kind of recognition yeah um, i think he was a young guy so he's best actor be, yeah right? yeah for that movie. but what i what i love about sound of metal talking about beauty paul because it's not the most extravagantly filmed movie the cinematography is not like what sticks in my head it's that sound the sound sound design design, the way that they yeah the way that they draw the audience into the experience of losing your hearing of that isolation of 
it, it's so brilliantly done that at any given moment, you know whose ear perspective you have. Is it this lead character or his girlfriend who hears? And 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 you know, there's their only way they're telegraphing that is is through these audio cues. And so to to build out that world is so unique. I think another. A, a big 2021 movie was Coda, which is about a deaf family with a, a child who hears. And that movie is, I love that movie. It's great in a lot of ways, but it doesn't play with the sound design at all. That's And that's not what they're trying to achieve. But it's interesting yeah. to compare these two movies that hmm. uh, kind of handle the same topic. And, and Sound of Metal is so about the the sound, that first word in its title. Uh, it's yeah. It's a real transcendent experience for me in walking through that. Uh, And something that I have never experienced, obviously. And I think what's one of the things that I love about movies, especially well-made movies, they draw us into empathy for people and stories that we we don't know and we Mm, haven't experienced. That's what I was going to ask you is if you came out of it, you came out of it feeling as if you had a better sense of appreciation for what this person who's going through and experiencing deafness in that transition must have been feeling. Is that the case oh, yeah. that it really gave you a sense of, I have no frame of reference. I could never live that experience. And yet this right. approximates it and gives enough approximation where I could step into that and have greater love, empathy, concern, or and just appreciation for the experience yeah. of another image bearer. I mean, one of the one of the other aspects of the plot is that the the lead character is is a is an addict who is in sobriety, and there's deep concern amongst his friends that this music has been his new, like way to cope, and now he doesn't have that coping. Yeah, this this new deafness is going to uh, affect his sobriety, so he moves into a, a kind of a, a rehab or or a house for people in recovery who are deaf, and I and I'm just thinking. I've never even considered that this might exist. Yeah. Like, but of course it does. Uh, Of course, something like this exists because this, this has to be the lived experience of people. My my world Um, here, there's stuff outside of this, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I was going to say too, part, part of why I love a movie and like, even why um, I think me and Matthew both are in the space of like the, the, the thought of starting a new TV show with like, knowing it's going to be X amount of seasons, X amount of episodes. I'm like, I just can't. But uh, like the gift of a two hour movie and also the gift of I'm going to watch this and not be on my phone. I'm going to watch this and just like experience this like, like amount of time that is consumable, you know? And so what I love about a movie like sound of metal that does play with sound design so much where there's scenes where it's just like, it's dead quiet in the movie and therefore it's dead quiet in my house and I just have to sit and reflect and feel for a bit. And I know personally I am finding ways to not feel throughout the day, whether it's like listening to podcasts yeah. constantly or like, you know, having YouTube videos playing while I work or what, whatever it is. And so, uh, yeah, just the gift of, all right, we're going to let you reflect and you sit with this and not feel the need to like, you know, hold your attention to the next scene or, uh, I don't know, bounce, yeah. bounce you around too much where you can't put yourself in the character's place. Wow. So that sounds like one I I, I need to see here. You've given me one Heck on my yeah, list on my queue already. That's, that's good. beautiful. Heck yeah. How Especially about we just sound design alone. It's a Marvel. Mm. 
Yeah, and you really appreciate that stuff, especially, you know, there's, I don't know how, what format you typically watch. Um, I think there's something lost. I mean, I appreciate that we have access to all this stuff on our phones and our iPads, but one of the things I took away, and I don't want to dive into this film yet, one of the things I really took away after coming out of watching The Batman was the sound design, and we'll talk about that film maybe later, and I go, if I would have just watched this on you know, uh, on my iPad at home, I would have missed the time and dedication and thoughtfulness that that was put into that. And I think the medium in which we consume these, these stories is really important because I, you don't think about it most of the time, you know, you watch your average Marvel film and that's, it's not a big priority. There's a lot of sound pollution and I love the Marvel movies too, for other reasons, but Mm-hmm. That sort of stuff doesn't seem to have the attentiveness to detail, yeah. and um, yeah. really, it's important to take it in the right the right space. Yeah. Seems like yeah, I, I, I for for me it has become. I I try to only watch things on the television in the living room, and, and I and and because it's movies while they sleep. My family's asleep. I usually have like my nice headphones on, yeah. and so you know I'm experiencing that kind of immersive sound. But, but I, I do feel like it diminishes or, or it changes even the way that I engage if I'm sitting there on an iPad watching it. Um, I, because, because it's just, it's almost a a more passive experience, but if it's on the TV, I have to lean in a little bit. I Mm. have to, uh, there's a commitment that I've now made, uh, to, to this, this experience that I think is, is more rewarding, but I also, I, I do watch stuff on my iPad. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to pretend. But Maybe an iPad, uh, but I think it's pretty unfathomable for phones for you and me. Like when people say they watch the movie on their phone, I just cannot sure. begin to imagine <laughs> what that was. What okay, but, but this is, uh, this is uh, Denis Villeneuve who directed Dune. He talks about watching uh, The Thin Red Line on his iPhone uh, and I'm like you monster, little, <laughs> like an uh, utterly insane thing to do. But you know, guy made Dune, so well, let's <laughs> talk about that one. To Terrence, yeah, let's talk about Dune. I want to I want to swing to the other extreme because you talked about the first film we talked about was a small story, small scale, steps into a world yeah. in which um, is the very real lived experience of many people that we often. Um, don't consider and have no frame of reference for to the other extreme (laughs) of a massive fantasy. (laughs) Yeah. Huge sound, huge visuals. Let's, let's talk about Dune. That's been one of my favorite uh, films that I've seen during the pandemic. Uh, How did you guys feel about it? Tell me some of the things that you appreciated about it. I love Dune. I I was blown away by it, and I think this was my initial reaction. Uh, and I, and I think this even applies to this conversation. When I finished that movie, I thought I have not felt this way about a movie since walking out of the theater seeing The Fellowship of the Ring. Mm, that's a good comparison. Like, this and there had been you know not that Dune's the best movie to come out in twenty years, but that there is a world that they created that is not just created because but so well executed, so beautifully done, a world that feels so lived in and 
and real that I just want more stories in this place. I want more stories with this lore, with this mythology. And that was how I felt walking out of fellowship. And and there's been plenty of movies over the last 20 years that have attempted to do some pretty significant world-building things. But there is a care and a beauty that the filmmakers of Dune understand and key into where... You know, we talked about Marvel. There's kind of a busyness or a messiness. And that's how I feel a lot about these other, you know, sci-fi fantasy stuff that we've seen over the last 20 years is, okay, we, we've got the technology, just we're going to throw everything at it. And the blue people. Dune is almost this exercise. <laughs> uh, Dune is almost this exercise in, I, I want to say restraint, which feels kind of yeah. strange to say. because it's weird so to say, but I'm totally giant. tracking with you. It, yeah, it's, it's true, though. Like, uh, I, I've watched just some video essays about how they shot that movie. And it's like, hey, we're going to do a lot of practical stuff here. And even the non-practical stuff is still grounded in reality. Yeah. You know, hmm. like I, I one specific one, it was like uh, instead of using green screens or blue screens, they were using sand colored screens so that when light was bouncing off of it, it's actually feeling like like, no, we're here. You know, so yeah, obviously wow, there's some wow. big set piece stuff. But when like the specific one is when um, uh, Paul and his mom. Sorry for your name. I'm this is a trope of the pod. La- I never Lady remember Jessica. I don't remember anyone's <laughs> names for any movie. Um, but when they're getting in the thopter to escape and like the lighting just like is pouring through that. And yeah. normally all this stuff in post and blah, blah, blah. But it's like. Oh, they surrounded it with these sand-colored screens yeah. to create the area so that the lights feel is is real light, you know. Mm, yeah, and so yeah, yeah there is a gra- there is a restraint of like we're gonna we're not gonna just post like send it in post and yeah you know, hope it turns yeah. out good. Yeah, you know we we talked about you know when I came in and joined you guys we talked about Zack Snyder who might be the antithesis of that. I, I love <laughs> yes. Zack Snyder's stuff for other reasons for for me like yeah. a Zack snyder film is always it's not so much a movie as much as it's a visual comic book you know i yeah, feel like totally. i'm stepping right into and he does a really good job oftentimes whether it's been Watchmen, um where he'll literally rip straight from the pages of a comic book and oh, try yeah. to transpose yeah. that on, on onto a screen and it's really really cool but at times it's sensory overload um to the mm-hmm. point where i, I there's only so much I can bring in in a moment. So as much as I love Man of Steel, for example, I think it's great. The the last act, you know, the the the, the final battle between uh, Superman and uh, General General Zod. There's so much going on there yeah. that yeah. Um, th- there wasn't any restraint, you know. And you yeah. see that a lot <laughs> in this genre. And I do appreciate there was thoughtfulness and restraint. For me, I think the biggest thing, and uh, it's similar to Denis, and you guys actually taught me how to say his name properly. I was calling him Dennis <laughs> all these years. Yes. My boy Dennis. <laughs> total Midwestern, Midwestern noob. Um, Denis Villeneuve. It's okay. I probably called him Dennis for a decade too. <laughs> the guy. only thing from from a uh, like cinematography perspective that had come close to it was another one of his, and that was Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Both yep. of those, I felt that they had a way of capturing the scope and size and the immensity yeah. of the world in every single frame. So when I first watched Dune, I watched it 
um, with my wife after the kids had gone to bed, you know, yeah. and, hey. um, but they came down a couple of times. So we pa- had to pause it at a few moments, pause to go mm-hmm. to the bathroom. And I realized every time I paused it, I could have taken a screen grab oh, yeah. of that shot and just hung it up on oh, yeah. my wall, <laughs> you know, as art. There yeah. was so much attention to, um, symmetry and yep. balance. Uh, and again, I am not an expert in this, but it's enough of a thing where I catch and I go, man, somebody really cared just about beauty in and of itself, oh. where so many other films in this genre use the screen and fill it up in a way that just feels, um, how do I put this? It feels as if it's always clamoring for your attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this felt like an invitation to your, your imagination to explore. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. I'm not smart enough in this area to figure it out. I don't want to be, but it certainly made that experience for me. And it sounds like it did for both of you as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think there is an invitation as I'm watching the movie from, from them in terms of the, the the real livedness that they create and the restraint that they used in, in composition and, and filling the frame that invites me to fill in the space with the other stories, with the other, the, the, the other, oh, yeah. uh, you know, um, centuries of mythology. It, you it's feel all, the history. It's all there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I feel like what, one of the things I loved about the movie was it doesn't feel like there's this, you know, every half hour exposition dump of, yeah. hey, let oh me give you the history of House Atreides or whatever Thank it you. is. Yeah. Thank uh, you. <laughs> got rid yeah. of the narrator, you know, having to explain to you every single thing yeah. as if. Yeah. Like the it, David it's, Lynch It's one. like his, his goal. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, his goal as a filmmaker is to draw you into the story and not not see the movie as an opportunity to just uh, give you information. It's mm-hmm. not it's not a, a a vehicle for information. It's a it's a vehicle for transcendent experience, mm-hmm. and he would, understands that. Yeah, and transcendent experience is really important in the entire mythos of Dune too. Yes, <laughs> and I find that really interesting. The way that they highlight, obviously, this has always been in the in the books, uh, even in the David Lynch. The connection between spice and sort of inferences about spice and the, the closest analog we might have are like psychedelics. Yeah, but there's I was gonna definitely say, we gotta get that, your other guest on the call. I know, right? <laughs> there's definitely um, some things being explored here that I think are very attractive yeah. to people in our current cultural moment. The connection between our state of consciousness, the way our state of consciousness might be altered and how altered states of consciousness connect to religious experience yep. and dreams. They did it in such a way that I felt, um, I did a video on this on my YouTube channel. I, I thought this is like one of the quintessential films for a post-secular age. And one of the things that marks, I think what a, our post-secular age is, the secular age tried to, tried to um, put walls around any... Um, any possibility of transcendence invading, right? So that all we had here was yeah. the imminent frame in the world right in front of us. And one of the things that's kind of burst that bubble, and I'm not giving an endorsement of it per se, um, is people who have dabbled with psychedelics yeah. 
I don't know anybody that comes out of that going, well, I think I was just hallucinating. Like they really feel as if it's opened themselves up. And the people that experience that, um, to just dismiss religion as fairy tale or fantasy isn't going to do it anymore. And the way this film gets you to think about, well, yeah, religion has been something that's been a political force. But there's also something it seems like it's tapping into. um, Obviously, uh, again, I'm not giving any endorsements, blanket endorsements on psychedelics or any of these things. I just think it's capturing something in our cultural moment. The the openness that there's something deeper than what we got walking around. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's shift to, I want to cover a few of these, and we could take entire episodes for each of these, but I wanted to just kind of do a buffet table for people. Yeah, buffet table, and certainly everybody go and check out uh, movies while they sleep, where they they do much more extensive deep dives on. I think all of the definitely all the films that we've talked about so far. Let's shift down to a more small scale story once again, but one that's filled with transcendence and imminence dancing together, and that would be the Green Knight. What did I, you guys I have think? It I know streaming that was kind on of his iPad right over here right wow. now. Wow, just, yeah. just the visuals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This was I, Matthew's I, I like know, what top um, two movie of the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, because that answers the question yeah. for me. I didn't listen to your episode on this one, and I know there were some pretty divisive opinions on it. Um, what did you think about it before I yeah. share any of my thoughts on it? Yeah. So my initial reaction is like I was overcome by the beauty of it because it is a similar vein of every shot, every every sequence. This. In, intensely deliberate use of color, for example, throughout oh, that's the film. a great point, yeah. And, and as I've just been watching it, you know, this whole first act at the castle, it's all, you know, this kind of uh, muted gray tones, but but yellow and the flames really it, it pops off the screen. And now he's on all his natural journey lighting, in the woods. Basically. And, it's, and it's all natural lighting, but the green is now building and I think it's going to crescendo at the end of the film. Um, but the green Knight, I had this interesting experience of seeing it in a theater and having a number of people actually walk out midway through the movie. Same. Because I think you, yeah. Really? And, and I think Paul, you, you mentioned the divisive opinions. I think people were very frustrated that it was not what they were expecting. They were expecting this kind of big epic, you know, Lord of the Rings, Knight's tale, like, parallel adventure. <laughs> yeah. And, what I what the kind of category that I would put the Green Knight into is much more um, like meditative cinema, uh, where I'm just kind of letting everything they're doing, the the beauty of it, the the sound, the very very evocative soundtrack, just kind of wash over me as. Uh, and and like because the movie is a constant invitation of is this actually happening is this a hallucination yes. is this real yeah i mean in fact right now the moment in the movie is where he's tied up by the tree and i know the camera is going to pan around and Your we're going to see a shot. skeleton then it's and it's going to flip back and he's there and it's kind of like what what is happening <laughs> and <laughs> i love the idea the movie does not seem so interested in answering that, that question <laughs> they're like i don't know what's happening i'm leaving <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I think the movie is not so interested in answering the question of what's happening. It's interested in uh, evoking feelings out of you, and so that that's why I call it that meditative cinema because there's such a deliberate slow pace to it 
that is gives you the space to just consider and feel and and think about i mean every half hour it's like a character gives a little moral sermonette or homily yes. <laughs> right so there there is that that kind of constant thread throughout and and so then they give you the space to wrestle with it uh and and i just connect deeply with that uh, so i don't know what you thought of the green knight Mitchell, what are your thoughts first? I'd love to hear yours. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the first, even as you're talking about the pace of it, it's just like the movie's buried in its own ideas of like this slow growing green that you don't typically associate with death or, um, you know, pain. <laughs> it's, it's like matches the pace where it's like this is slowly overcoming you slowly growing on you and even as i left the the movie i was like oh yeah this thing is growing on me literally like in in how i think about it because it does even the marketing for it really sets you up for kind of a more intense battle scenes epic night's tale and they're like gotcha we're we're gonna chill for a bit you realize the studio is a24 right yeah Yeah, like wait that's right (laughs) it's gonna get we know what we're getting sure but maybe yeah. not, you know, so exciting. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, I, I loved it. And it's funny as we're talking about this too, and even the movies that, Paul, that you sent our way that you want to talk about on this episode, like just the connecting line of there's all practicality and care for, for the way these movies look. Because yeah, with Green Knight, it's like they only did natural lighting. That's why like the opening scene in the chapel is so dark and kind of hard to tell even what's going yeah. on sometimes. And so yeah, whether it's Dune or the Batman, there's all these takes that people are doing and care for like despite the the psychedelic nature or transportive nature of some of the the movies we're talking about the actual presentation of it is really grounded in reality and it's you feel that you know yeah yeah i think the thing you talked about this matthew is the sense watching the movie is this really happening i think that's even a question that actually comes up um, yeah. in one of the quests, the side quests he's sent on by the gal, and you're not sure if they're dead or alive. And, and he asks something yes. along the lines of, are you real? And yeah. uh, this is, uh, I'm paraphrasing the response, but essentially the response is, well, what do you mean by that? And I was like, I don't think I've seen a movie <laughs> that helps me capture the pre-modern worldview better than this it's so hard for us to get outside we can't get outside of the culture we inhabit and so as people living in modernity where we've put these two things the sacred and the secular in separate boxes the spiritual and the material in separate boxes it's really hard for us to conceptualize what it would be like to live in a worldview in which those two things are not yeah. so easily divided. And this movie did it for me to the point where I did feel frustration at times. And yet I realized that frustration was actually like, oh no, this is this is really not this is not about me learning this story from a modernist yeah, perspective. Right. This is actually about me kind of trying to step into a much more ancient way of experiencing the world. And to that to that effect, I don't think I've seen a movie do that in that kind of way where the whole time, like you're saying, I'm going, is this real? It's not just like the non-reliable narrator trope. Yeah, We're not doing no, like no, a, no. you yeah. know, the fight club or Mr. Robot thing. Yeah. This is about 
what is actually constitutes the nature of reality. And I just found that so, right. so intriguing, so intriguing, like, so well done. Is talking, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's totally, no, the, totally normal in that oh, world yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah, there, there is this this little subtle moment that just happened uh, that I was just thinking about. So he gets like this cloth or this wrap that has protective power, right? Trust and, us. You'll be fine. And, and like from, from my modern perspective, I'm like, oh, it's just a cloth. There's nothing fancy about this. And then when he gets taken in by these bandits and that cloth is taken from him, like I feel the <laughs> desperation. Like, no. of that. Suddenly the movie has played this trick on me of now I'm so in this guy's mind and his worldview and his understanding of how all these things collide and, and what what his quest is and what's protecting him. I'm like, oh no, he lost that scarf. Well, now it's really going to get bad. And, and that the movie got me there is an achievement. And now, of course, the movie starts with a giant green monster knight coming in and crashing the party. So I, I, I don't know why I keep going back to this, you know, modernistic view of it but here we are and yeah you know what's funny too of this whole like discourse around the film along with the nature of it being constantly in question is uh when it, the ending is up for interpretation and uh, i've yeah. always found yeah. that like reading reviews or hearing people talk about it on youtube or whatever it's like the people that are like and then this happens at the end like they're kind of irritated by the film but then the people that are more like who wait who knows what what actually what choices made at the end tend to enjoy it more, you know, like the openness. To yeah. I appreciate that. When it, when a film does that and leaves a degree of ambiguity to the end of the story, I, I appreciate now sometimes it can be frustrating, you know, um, but or cutesy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think, yeah. Um, I think like inception and the spinning top is like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think of that okay. and go, all right, well, there's a way in which unresolved stories are important for us in our in our own quest for meaning. Yeah. And to experience the world in a way which adheres to reality as it is oftentimes mean we go through little vignettes of our life where that tension doesn't get like neatly resolved. And there are certain things we even experience in our life where we go back and we go, we could actually interpret this from multiple different perspectives. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. about big decisions that I've made that didn't turn out the way I wanted them to. And I'm, you know, we frequently go back and we look at those decisions with different questions about, well, maybe that was the way it was supposed to turn out. Or maybe, you know, if I would have taken yeah. a different turn here, or am I even interpreting this whole event properly? Yeah. And so right. for films to do that, to leave a degree of ambiguity and tension, you know, the original re ending to Mark's gospel, you know, there's a, you'll see a footnote in pretty much any Bible these days, the last, uh, forget how many of her verses it is that concludes Ma Mark's gospel, were probably something that were added in late, later manuscripts. And you see that yeah. footnote almost everywhere now. But I think the interesting thing about the original ending to Mark's gospel is that the final scene is the women leaving the tomb afraid. And I wish, you know, like, I think that's kind of in some ways a beautiful ending to the story because it actually adheres to our experience of life. It adheres to the original community's experience of life yeah. where 
they don't know whether or not this following Jesus thing is going to pan out for them. <laughs> They're taking wow. it totally on faith. There's a degree of bewilderment and, and wonder there. So I, I appreciate that about about stories like that that can do a good job of going, yeah, there's a degree of interpretation here and even thinking about how the story the story ends. And I I think too there is this, and Dune Dune does this well with the way that Paul kind of sees these prophetic visions and 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 with the ambiguous ending and, and what's what's real and what's not, I, I often am drawn into kind of my own thinking about free will and determinism and 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 that's what I see in the Green Knight's quest is how much how much of any step of this is is on his own free will and volition and um because because at some point early on in the movie he makes a choice uh, to chop this guy's head off and then it's almost as if every step is then ordained after that and but then it has this ambiguous ending and so it's I, I don't know what to do with it. it but that's how I feel a lot about... The power of choice and faith. But, mm. Yeah. And I think conversations in, in the church, in, 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 in our faith communities about these things, are often so uh, combative. Yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and instead, like, we can hold these things in tension and have conversations and... and feel a reality in both ways. And that's what the movie uh, kind of illustrates for me, the Green Knight specifically. Let's let's swing, because I yep. think if we do two more art, art house films in a row, I might lose some people, <laughs> even though these <laughs> hopefully are compelling people to go be like, hey, I want to check want to check this stuff out. But admittedly, the Green Knight, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. The sound of Silence, obviously. Sound of Metal, not Sound of Silence. Um but uh, let's let's go let's go to another blockbuster and then maybe we can cover some of uh, a film or two that would have less recognition. We we have to talk yeah. about the Batman, oh, um, yes. be- because go. in a lot of ways we rattled you up with our rankings. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about let's talk about those rankings in a moment. But, <laughs> but obviously, this is this is something that's one of the big popcorn box office success films and oftentimes you go into the superhero genre expecting a certain thing i knew i wasn't going to get that thing with any if robert pattinson's involved i'm not getting oh, yeah um you know i'm not i'm not getting uh ant-man and the wasp you know <laughs> here batman and robin or batman and robin uh, i know matt reeves yeah, no, and he's yeah, he's he's brilliant. He's been a lot of yeah. really really compelling roles. So this definitely was beyond in some ways beyond probably normal expectations for a superhero uh, movie. You know, for those that haven't listened to your episode on this, to just maybe start with some initial reactions to some of the things that you appreciated. Again, just about it as a piece of of art i definitely could get really nerdy because i'm a big batman fan and the comic books and source material i'd I'd probably lose people there but even just as an expression of art that might be um slightly different than other expressions in this comic book movie superhero genre movie yeah i mean i just think there's such a care and intentionality with the the composition and cinematography of the movie um like Matt Reeves really cares what a what a shot and an image look looks like, and 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 it, it's such a 
diversity of that, right? The car chase, which I just loved, is is so brutal. But that's the way he he locks cameras onto vehicles and they're stuck there. Your perspective is stuck there, right? Like that's a, a trick that he uses that he doesn't use in other places in the movie. Um, and, and I was thinking about this compared to like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. He doesn't seem as though he's someone who's interested in much aesthetic beauty outside of like buildings. Mm. <laughs> he really loves cityscapes. Yes. Inception is another example yes. of him going crazy, going hard for that. But um, but Matt Reeves is so interested in in like the beauty in the grime of Gotham, and yeah. like this is kind of the the grimiest Gotham has been in a long time. Constantly raining, but but then you you stick Batman and, and Selena on a rooftop at sunrise or sunset and give us all these amazing beautiful shots, and it's like, all right, is it that beauty is constantly breaking through in this? darkest of cities and 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 that's you know I, i'm not often thinking those things while i'm watching a superhero right. movie which is no. awesome you're like so how right. is the that's a great usually <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way of putting it because there is a sense in which i come out and sometimes certain depictions of gotham where they're and i i, I like there are things I really do like about the nolan movies and i don't want yeah, to me like, too recency bias and just trash yeah. them and because they were really important at the time too. But even what you just described there, that there is something, sometimes Gotham City feels as if there's ways of telling the story of Gotham City, which you go, there's nothing redeemable about this yeah. place. Yeah. Um, but you really need to feel the depths of Gotham's depravity in order for this character to not just come across as, they kind of do in some ways hint at his perhaps uh, inherited mental health um, instability, right. you know, from, from his mother. And um, for to really look at this character as a hero, you really have to see that there's so much darkness and corruption and depravity in this place, and yet somebody is still willing to see some shimmer of redemptive... Yeah value here that seems like it's really hard to do without giving too much glory if you will to the darkness to the vengeance yeah, and not yeah. enough about the it's possibility for hope redemption and this is like one of the first batman movies and again as a batman nerd there's i still have some like some slight qualms i, I still want not just the world's greatest detective but i also want like the ninja that doesn't just like knock on people's I front know. doors, <laughs> you know. Hey, let me in. That's the point, dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like the Batman that lurks in the shadows. But I'm, I'm still, I'm still really happy with a story that seems to say this character was went on a, some sort of character arc, right? Oh, yeah, and I, you don't right. see that a lot. If anything, I felt like the Nolan movies, Batman's character arc, you know, very uh, flat. Yeah. Yeah, very flat if not like inverted it, where it's they, like they tell mm. don't show. They're like this is what happens. Now he feels this way. Now we're here. Yeah, explain and that. You you've talked you talked about that in the in the podcast you guys did on on this Mitchell, but uh, say a little bit more about why you feel like this show show instead of tell yeah. makes for more compelling story than just people hitting you in the face with this blunt totally. object. 
and I mean, that's always kind of a golden rule. Like I'm, I was a creative writing major in college and that was like a golden rule with when it comes to writing of like, like y- you can create meaning and, and communicate a lot by, by showing the scene versus like, he's sad right now. And that's why he's walking over and behaving this way, you know? And you know, it's funny. I just rewatched Batman Begins last night. Um, just cause I, I want to still hang out in the Batman world, even though I've already seen the movie. So I'm like, I haven't revisited these in a long time. And one of the things that I kept feeling was there's so much like, well, that guy's corrupt and that guy's corrupt. And also the city's corrupt. And they just keep telling you that over and over. So that depravity that you're speaking, speaking of, it's, it's, it's just told to me like, okay, everyone's kind of a bad guy here versus like, yeah, why does Batman anybody live movie. here? Right, it's like, and, and, yeah, exactly. And then, like, the only times where it doesn't feel like Chicago is when it's in the the Narrows, and it's like kind of like sewer smoke, and and that's it, which is you know classic Batman trope, thanks to Burton. But um, yeah, you know, watching this new Batman movie, you you find out the layers of corruption with him, and it's it's not even just told you, just like it's revealed to you, you know, and so it in a lot of ways feels, I, I feel much more of that inescapable. Th- this is rotted to the core. There is no hope for the levels of corruption going on here. And when I feel that and feel him experiencing that, um, it's just so much more effective than like, trust us. Everyone's yeah. bought and paid for everyone's corrupt here. Yeah. Yeah. I actually show well, that. Yeah. Yeah. And find out. I find it, you know, um, Yes, and to actually see when you get to the depths of the depravity that you see there in the city, to have to actually grapple with what is the best response to that. Yeah. And it's something that beyond a superhero movie, we all deal with in our own quest for meaning and to how to, how to navigate our place in our own unique stories and the stories we find ourselves connected to is when we experience suffering when we experience darkness is the only way to dispel it to just be more forceful with the same tactics and that seems to be when you compare the riddler and the batman which again like as the mystery itself goes it's it's um you know it's a solid mystery story i don't think it was anything like But the real, yeah. tw- the real twist, and here's the spoiler if anybody hasn't seen it, so spoiler alert. The real twist being that the Riddler seeing Batman as a source of inspiration for how to deal yeah. with the depravity by descending lower, you know, in some yeah. sense, being more depraved, um, to really have to wrestle with that. Because I, I think that is something that we practically wrestle with, even if we're not living in a city with crime lords and you know right that that stuff that's the fantastic side of it yeah but the situational side is to go like do i actually res- does vengeance yes does vengeance really work right yeah. or is there as, more as, not the, as it is there's points in this movie where it's like wait is what the riddler's doing justified and i've never had that question yes with you yeah. know, most superhero movies. You're like, the bad guy's uh, the uh, bad guy. <laughs> yeah. He's obviously bad. Yeah. yeah. But, and that's that trajectory that you 
tracked Paul and that I loved about this movie, the opening scenes of him, he, the narration from Batman is I use the shadows and they all think that I'm in any shadow, right? Like, and, and he's created that, 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 uh, character in Gotham and then they ask him who he is he says I am vengeance obviously then the end when one of the Riddler's you know followers says I'm vengeance Batman recoils like what 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 have I become and then in, in that same scene his resolution is not to to beat up everybody is then to snap this flare and you have this bright red light and literally becomes this hopeful force guiding people out of darkness. Yeah. So in the movie, he's hiding in it. And by the end, he is holding the beacon of light and guiding people out. And Vengeance that is isn't enough. an extraordinary. Yeah, that's an extraordinary trajectory for a superhero movie. That is so thoughtful. That is so uh, that it, it's unlike anything I've seen in a long time mm-hmm. in a movie like this. Yeah, and it resonates. Uh, Go ahead, Mitchell. Say, because a lot of the critiques I hear of this is like, if he didn't really like go on a journey, like he's just like kind of sad Batman the entire time. And I'm like, did you watch the same movie, people? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Even the, even the points which I felt a bit frustrated as a Batman fan that like in year two, there's still some like low level street thugs that can, you know, he's not parlaying everything that comes yeah. his way, yeah. you know, that there's, yeah, he, he takes a lot of beating by low-level thugs, you know. Yeah. But there's a degree yeah. in which, or even when he does the, uh, like, flying squirrel, you know, <laughs> thing <laughs> where it's not wings. It's not, it's the, I, I love wind. the camera yeah, on yeah. his head, and he's like, Rah. It's a great <laughs> he's little a GoPro. <laughs> yeah, literally. Get the, get the bat pro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that there's a degree in which it's actually showing you he's not competent. Fully competent. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was, that was, in, that was something different to see. Yeah. Um, to see in that story. Nestled within all of this, though, <laughs> is a deeper question to me about all of these films. And maybe if we have time, we can bring up uh, one or two more. We can do some quick vignettes on some of the ones that you would also recommend to, to people. But I, I do want to bring at this point that it seems like underneath all of what we're talking about, um, what we find compelling to us, we do confess is probably because of a story that we have all inhabited as Christians to a certain sense. But I do think it's interesting when storytellers tell stories and they think of like, what's the most beautiful thing I could say? What's the truest thing I could say? What's the, the most good I could conceive of in a hero that there is no like, uh, empty vacuum by which they're drawing those ideas from those ideas come from somewhere and i think that's an interesting place for us to have like cross-cultural even like interreligious dialogue yeah with people and film affords us an opportunity to talk about these things and the things underneath the things and you guys with your podcast you're not explicitly um you guys aren't coming out and was like we're a Christian movies podcast. Yeah. That would be kind of repulsive. <laughs> oh my God. Um, Pure Flix podcast. Yeah. And you know, you're, yeah. But there is something underneath it. It's implied. And it's kind of like what I think you appreciate about a movie, Mitchell, is when people don't beat you over the head with it, that you can actually see the implied connections nestled in 
Um, that to me is really fascinating. And to start thinking about, well, what's the story beyond and behind this story? Why is it better? Like, why do we look at that right. and go, how is it that we can look at the Riddler and go, this is wrong? Are we just, is it just cultural programming? Why do we see the luminescence and the drawing people out of darkness as better? Even something as less thoughtful, but was very popular, the Spider-Man, the last Spider-Man film. Like, yeah. What is it about that story where people would go and be like, hey, heroes that actually kind of exercise demons and look yeah. to bring restoration to villains might even be a better story than you just beating them up and killing them. I find yeah. that so fascinating. <laughs> and we all just yeah. go out of the theater and we go, wow, that's actually a more heroic vision. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. Well, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are, before we go, guys, um, the time we have... Maybe give some quick um, snapshots on maybe some other recommendations for people to check out and maybe tell us a little bit about each of those. We can maybe in about five minutes or so, we can cover uh, just a, a few, fire. give a few cliff yeah. note. Yeah. yeah. You kick it off. Um, I, I, I'll give two right now that are uh, entirely different. The first is uh, Nightmare Alley which was a, 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 and I am generally pretty positive about this movie, but it is uh, also very dark. Yes. And my uh, a kind of initial reaction to review was, if you want to understand the depravity of man, watch Nightmare Alley. Great and, review, yeah. Definitely. And, and I think that is such a unique thing about that movie where I think that's, that is his thesis in a lot of ways, that this is, let's tackle the darkness face on. I want to show you how someone descends, how someone, uh, and the, and the depths to which they will. Um, and, but I, I enjoyed the movie, uh, but I don't know that I'd want to revisit it, but there is a, I, I liked it. Nightmare Alley's good. Um, I agree. And it was kind of overlooked, I think. Very, um, very dark in a different way. Not like grimy Gotham dark, but the story is quite, it's a tragedy in the classic yeah. sense of the word. There's there's a biblical quality to it, which is weird oh, to yes. say because there's obvious there's content in there that if you know you're not going to show it at '90s youth group night, but there is there's a all I can say without giving any spoilers away. There's there's like a very biblical parable like quality to it. Yes, um, that's I, a good way of putting it. I agree with you on that. It was it was thought-provoking it was compelling it was certainly a cautionary tale yeah yeah uh and then the the <laughs> directed verse of this this is a few years old now but it, it's i just rewatched it this 2019 terrence malick again a hidden life uh which i assume you've seen paul yes and put that right in the category of meditative cinema of let this three hours of intense beauty just take you away. Mm. And if Nightmare Alley is never going to be a sermon illustration, uh, A Hidden Life has, I probably already used it three or four times in sermons. <laughs> and and the way that he, I mean, Terrence Malick is famous for, for the, the beauty of his compositions and cinematography. But what struck me so much just a couple of weeks ago, rewatching it was, and in brief, it's a World War II era story of a of a man who was a conscientious objector to Hitler's army and is imprisoned because of that. Uh, but they live in this little village that is so intensely beautiful. Every shot, right? You, you you could frame any shot in this movie, and 
they are constantly surrounded or framed by these mountains. And the end of the movie and the, 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 the letters that they're writing to each other, they're describing this escape up to the mountains. They're going to build their nest up in the mountains where no one can find them. And it's such a, that is literally biblical imagery. That's the Psalms of, uh, I look to the mountains, where does my help come from, right? And I, I'm like, I can read that on, I'm, I'm actually reading the Psalms right now, or I can watch A Hidden Life and it's it is just reaching into me in a different way. Now, not that a hidden life is better than the Bible, but you know what I'm saying. It's connecting. The, it's using Depends the images the of the Bible, yeah, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. Sometimes it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's using that that imagery in such an effective way. I I find this again like weirdly overlooked. Like people should just yeah. watch and sit with this movie. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the first time Mitchell and I actually saw it together in a theater opening weekend in like our little art house indie theater. And I had just come from a screening of rise of Skywalker with some friends. (laughs) And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to stay awake for this three hour movie. And that like a hidden life comes on and it was like a breath of fresh air. Like you watch the same day, the same day you watch those two. No, I, I, I drove from one theater to the other. Dude, you are something else. This guy. <laughs> it's not about people that watch movies. Paul, are you on Letterboxd at all? No, no, I, I've been encouraged by people to do so. Maybe I should, but. You it's should. just a good way to track and talk about movies. But like this guy, like every day I hop on, he's watched like four movies last night or something. We we, we have a newborn foster baby right now. Oh, so, that's awesome. Uh, all I can do is stay up late and give her milk and watch movies. So, you know. <laughs> with, the, with the headphones. <laughs> You're watching Nightmare Alley and holding her. Uh, Nightmare Alley with the headphones. Newborn. <laughs> the There's one scene in A Hidden Life. Uh, the one scene for me is when he's in the church and he's talking with the um, the artist in residence, the whoever's yeah. painting murals. And he there's this dialogue about him lacking the courage to paint the true Christ. Yeah. Paint the true Christ, but to paint Christ in his suffering. And uh, he finds himself that he's always com- been compelled to paint these uh, victorious, kingly Christ in his yeah. glory. Um, and that maybe one day I'll have the courage to paint the true Christ. And boy, that line ripped. Yeah. Ripped my heart out, man. Ripped my heart yeah. out. Like, it was probably in that moment. Just send your complaints to Deep Talks Theology Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> but in that moment, it, it was better than a daily Bible reading. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it was yeah. bringing to, it was, it was bringing to life something in my closer to my contextual experience. So like, I'm not that yeah. far removed from this. And yeah, anyways, beautiful, compelling. Are there any others, you know, Mitchell, Matthew, any others that you, that came to mind you wanted to recommend for people? Or we got a pretty good list here already. Yeah, just rapid fire. I, me and Matthew's both top movie of last year was Licorice Pizza, which is a new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So there will be blood. Um, I don't know, what, what's his bigger movies? The Master and There Will Be Blood, maybe? Phantom Thread? Yeah, those are kind of... Yeah, like all of his stuff is great. Mm -hmm. He's he's a master, but his his storytelling is usually there will be blood a lot darker, a lot heavier, a lot more intense. And Liquor's Pizza was just like uh, 
I don't know, for me, it was such a visit to not not childhood, but like adolescence and nostalgia. And there's a warmth to that movie and a beauty to that movie. And it's it's it just reminded me so and a lightness much. to it. Yeah, there's a like for especially PTA, the the lightness is usually missing from his movies. And so if you want to see masterwork, but engaging with something a little bit more palatable. And yeah, it just remind me of high school days of like, let's go bike to the Walgreens, grab some snacks, head over to this area. And there's this, it's a fun movie to hang out with and it just looks amazing. So that was both of our top movie from last year. And then um, we're going to do an episode on this, but the kind of Oscar uh, hot movie, probably going to win a bunch of stuff this year is the power of the dog, which is streaming on Netflix. And um, it's, it's one of the better looking movies of the year. It's, playing with a lot of loneliness and disconnection from community and and like striving to be able to be vulnerable with people all in the context of like a cowboy it's movie. All, yeah. Yeah. And, wow. so and, been, and filmed filmed in New Zealand standing in for Montana. So, it looks so the, the landscapes are good. like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean it literally yeah. Montana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you have one Benedict Cumberbatch movie to watch in the next couple months, I would choose this over uh, multiverse of madness. <laughs> Please. Well, you heard it, heard it here but. first. Everyone. <laughs> Mitchell stamp of approval. You can only choose one Benedict Cumberbatch. film. You can only have that's, one. That's the one. If, if someone gives you no. that strange, like uh choice in life. Gun to your head situation. <laughs> yeah, gun to your yeah. head. Let's do yeah. the dog. But both of those are just beautiful, yeah. amazing. Yeah, amazing yeah. looking movies. Awesome. Paul, what about you? What yeah, what should we be watching? Something. Oh man. I think we covered I think we covered most of them. Um you know, the only one that comes to mind that is by no means a new movie, but I, I find that so many people have never seen it. I think it's still on Amazon Prime is uh, Patterson. It is. Oh, I haven't oh, seen it. Adam Driver. I have seen it. It's very good. Yes. Yeah, very good. So we're gonna talk about like small, small stories. You talked about m- meditative films, contemplative films. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got these spiritual disciplines. You that can really be boiled down to this, right? You have spiritual disciplines that act as a microscope. Which mean God, yeah. like, open up my eyes to the world underneath that I typically am not attentive to at all. And we've talked about yeah. some of those. And then you also have um, the spiritual discipline of like contemplation, which is to look upward to try to move beyond. Then yeah. that's like a telescope. So tell I think of it as telescopes and microscope experiences. Mm, telescope is like take me up to see the yep. stars and the galaxies and. You know, sometimes that's where the Marvel films can be most helpful. Sometimes, right? Yeah, or a totally. Dune, Dune movie. Um, oh yeah. But Patterson follows the story of Adam Driver, who's a bus driver who writes poetry. Mm. And it. Uh, what more do you? It need doesn't seem uh, like you just hear that description and go, "That sounds incredibly boring." But it's such an <laughs> earnest story. It's so. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just uh, it's wholesome it's so wholesome like mm. uncomfortably wholesome there's not a tinge of 
uh, I, I can't. So check check that one out. I think it's still on Amazon Prime. I'm gonna it's watch probably it. I love four this. years old now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's something Driver people should revisit just, once. Yeah, people should okay. revisit it once a year. It's, it's it's not Tree of Life on that level, but for me, um, people that really struggle with the microscope side of spiritual disciplines, right. like I'm always thinking about bigger, mm. badder, faster. If you that's your proclivities, you need to take in more films that help you see god's goodness right under your nose and that would be one of them yeah oh yeah, I, don't, cool. I, I don't know if you've I love seen it. love it um, i want to check it out minari but it's it's matthew it's pretty mm -hmm. minari adjacent i would say oh i love minari minari minari's adjacent. another one <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome. minari's another, that was a covid movie um that is about um some i think they're korean immigrants in the 80s moving to the south to become farmers um and it's beautiful, and the lead character is talking about biblical imagery. His name is Jacob, and he spends a good deal of the movie looking for a well on his property. Um, so some of some of it is right there for you, but it's it's, it's a very it's delicate, fantastic. small scale family story. It's so wholesome too. Like yeah. it, it's it's great. Mm -hmm. I love Minari, and yeah. and totally We're giving people a lot of yeah, yeah. I've never heard of it. Never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, we've given probably a handful of things people have maybe not heard of, or maybe they just saw a preview for it's shown up on their, whatever the streaming service keys are and their hopefully opportunities. And, you know, use your, use your discretion uh, on yeah. each of these. Um, each of us have areas of weakness where certain stories might take us to particular places or scenes or imagery that might take us to places that don't produce virtue in our life. And you, you have to be attentive of that in yeah. your, in your own, your own way. And um, so... But uh, I appreciate the time, Matthew Mitchell. Make yeah, sure man, everyone check you. out. Go subscribe and listen to Movies While They Sleep. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. I, I love it. I always look forward to um, to the episodes. And, um, Thanks, man. That means you guys, a lot. You guys have the brother chemistry, too, which you just can't, <laughs> you can't compete we with. Try. You know, two <laughs> brothers. And the inside stories that you guys tell from time to time are great. I love hearing like the sure. childhood stories that you like to come up from time to time. It's awesome. So Thanks, Mitchell, well, thank you Matthew, so much for thank having you for us, your Paul. time. Yeah. yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Woo!